Today's passage is John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that wherever, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Thanks, Anne. Well, today we are wrapping up our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're finishing a series that we've entitled The Heart of a Disciple. And we've been exploring these three great love commands that Jesus gave the church. Love God, love one another, and love your neighbor as yourself. And these commands are really a matter of the heart. We're not supposed to appear like we're loving people. We're not supposed to go through the motions we're actually called to love God with all our heart. We're to love one another fervently from the heart. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's to be that consistent and, and that degree of depth. And what fuels this type of love is our experience of God's love. Unless we experience the fierce, constant love of God that's found in Jesus Christ these three love commands will merely be ideas. They'll be good things that we might do, but they won't be the passion of our hearts. And so today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at a verse that talks about how we can experience the love of Jesus consistently, day by day. And it's right in the middle of the passage that Anne read earlier. It's in John 15, 9, where Jesus said, as the Father has loved me so have I loved you, abide in my love. And so we'll unpack this statement by answering three questions. 
How did the Father love the Son? How does Jesus love his disciples? And then how do we abide in Jesus' love? So we'll just look at each phrase in there in that verse. And we'll especially notice how Jesus spoke these issues, about these issues in the Gospel of John. So we begin with the first question, how, how has the Father loved the Son? How would you answer that question? How has the Father loved the Son? I would say the short answer is perfectly from all eternity. That's how the Father has loved the Son. Here at Faith, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, and we have a, a doctrinal statement that really explains what we understand the Bible to teach about various truths found there. And the first half of the first article of our statement of faith says this. This is a statement about God. We believe in one God, the creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons. Notice it says there, a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so our understanding from Scripture is that God has always existed in a loving unity of three equally divine persons. This means that the, that the Father has loved the Son from eternity past. Uh, long before Jesus became one of us, the Father loved him. He loved the Father. And so... Uh, the Son came into the world being perfectly loved from eternity past. And so that's the context. That's, that's the truth, the reality of how the Father loved the Son. But I want you to turn with me back to John chapter 5. We have an intriguing statement. Jesus mentioned one way that the Father loved him. And you may find this a little bit surprising. I did when I really kind of pressed into this. But in John chapter 5, Jesus made this statement in the context of a dispute he had with the Jewish authorities. In their mind, Jesus had done two horrible, horrible things. Number one, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And number two, he told him, pick up your bed and walk. And so they were in the middle of this dispute. And in the middle of it, in John 5.19, Jesus said this. He's explaining his relation to the Father. He's saying, I'm really doing what my Father does. God works on the Sabbath because he gives, does good on the Sabbath. So he says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And so Jesus said this a number of different ways, a number of different places. But he says, I don't act independent of the father. Actually, I take my cues from the father. What I see him doing, that's what I do. And so Jesus did what the Father did, and he also says he did everything the Father did. Notice he says that whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then in verse 20, this is what I, I found somewhat surprising. Jesus says that by showing him what he was doing, the Father was showing love to the Son. It was a loving thing for the father to show the son what he was doing. And so in verse 20 we read, For the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And so the reason why Jesus was able to do what the father did 
was because the Father showed him. He revealed to him what he was doing. And that was an expression of his love. And it's interesting, scholars and commentators point out that in, in an agrarian society like first, first century Israel, uh, a father showed love to his son by explaining to him the family business, whether it was carpentry or tending livestock or farming. And so Jesus came to the earth to carry out his father's will. He was part of the family business. One aspect of the father's love for Jesus was to reveal to him what he was doing. And so now you may ask, God existed in this loving unity, this, this, this eternal trinity from uh, times past. What was their family business? Well, it's, it's said in a number of different ways. That when we ask, what was God doing, and therefore, what did Jesus do when he became one of us? Uh, one place this is answered is in Luke 19.10, where Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I came to seek and save that which is lost. And so if something is lost, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Incredibly valuable things get lost. If you're lost, it just means you're out of place and you don't know how to find where you're supposed to be, okay? So you're lost. Uh, and so Jesus came as the good shepherd to seek and save lost sheep. Every single human who has ever lived, except for Jesus, was a lost sheep. Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost. And so that's the family business of the Godhead. And as an expression of his love for the Son, the Father showed him what he was doing. That being the case, we ask, okay, if that was love, the Father showing the Son what he was doing, how would the Son reciprocate and love his Father in return? Well, in John 14, 31, Jesus makes this statement, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see what Jesus said there? He said, the way I show people that I love the Father is I do what the Father has commanded me. I do the things he has shown me. Now, this, this may just, just rise all sorts of questions in your mind. Okay, I thought God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were equal. I thought there were no differences between them. Well, it's a mystery. Anytime we start talking about the Godhead, there's mystery there. But what we're told in, in Scripture is that, yes, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are equal in essence. They are equal in nature, but they have different roles in what they do before time, before time, and in time. And so theologians sometimes call it relation to the Father and the, son, and the Son, that there's a functional subordination of the Son to the Father, a functional subordination of the Son to the Father. Now, we see that here because Jesus speaks of the Father commanding him and him obeying the Father. That's never said of, of, in reverse. We're never told that the Son commanded the Father and the Father did what the Son told him to do, commanded him to do. Nope, the Father is the one who commands, he's the one who sends, he's the one who commissions, he's the one who reveals. The, father, the, the Son is the one who obeys, he is the one who is sent. And so you may wonder, why are we told all this? Why does Jesus want us to know that the Father loved him by showing him what he was doing 
and the Son loved the Father by doing what the Father showed him and doing what the Father said. Why does this even matter? Well, it matters because the relationship of the Father to the Son is a paradigm, it's a model of the relationship between the Son and his disciples. And so, uh, the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. And so, Jesus loves his disciples the way the Father loved him. As Jesus' disciples, we're to obey him just as he obeys the Father. And as we'll see, that's how we abide in Jesus' love, just as the, as the Son ab- abides in the Father's love through obedience. And so keep this in mind. I hope it's not too confusing. I hope this becomes clearer and clearer as we work our way through these questions. So how has the Father loved the Son? Next we ask, how has Jesus loved us? Well, let's look at the immediate context. See what Jesus had in mind when he said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And so how has Jesus loved us? Again, if you want a real short answer, the answer is perfectly. There's nothing deficient, nothing lacking in Jesus' love for us. What we read when we come down to verse 12 is that Jesus paid the highest possible price as an expression of his love for us. Uh, In verse 12 and 13, Jesus says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so as the greatest expression of love possible, Jesus says, I'm actually going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to die as the payment for your sins. In chapter 10, Jesus had told them, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He said, I'm not like a hiring, I'm a hireling, I'm not just getting a paycheck, I'm not going to run away when there's danger. I'm actually the good shepherd who loves his sheep so much that I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. And so that's the foundation of it. That's what we sing about, that's what we, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we see his sacrifice, we think of his deep love for us as evidenced by him laying down his life for us. But if we keep reading, in the next few verses, we have an example of how Jesus loved his disciples in a way that's exactly parallel to to the way the Father had loved the Son, as we saw back in John chapter 5. See if this sounds familiar. Jesus says this, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Why? For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Remember we saw back in in chapter 5, verse 20, he said, this is the father's love. He loved me and showed me what he's doing. Here Jesus says, I'm calling you friends because I'm showing you what the Father showed me and therefore what I'm doing. And this is one of the qualities of friendship. This is one of the dynamics of friendship. Think about it. When you're with friends, you're not guarded. You're not 
thinking every word. I don't want to be misunderstood. I don't trust these people. I don't know if they're going to, they're going to misrepresent what I'm saying. No, when you're with friends, you have this transparency. You have this freedom. You don't just talk about facts. You talk about who you are. You talk about your motives. You talk about what you want and your aspirations. That's one of the most satisfying things when it comes to friendships. Jesus said, I call you friends because I'm transparent with you. I'm telling you things that the Father has showed me. In other words, I'm giving you insider information. I'm letting you know what the family business is. I'm letting you know what we're doing in the world. Why? Because the whole point of creation, the whole point of our lives is that God is drawing us up into this loving unity of the Trinity. He's drawing us up into the heavenly realm and we will, we will eventually spend our, our eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And so you talk about friendship. This is what Jesus is doing. This is at the core of his love for us. And so it's interesting that Jesus says, I, I consider you my friends. Think about what he's saying. He says, the Father loved me by showing me Everything that he's doing as the Father has loved me in the same way I've loved you by telling you what the Father has told me. And that leads us to the third question. How do we abide in Jesus' love? Again, we return to John 15, 9, and we read, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then he commands, abide in my love. Abide in my love. To abide means to remain or to stay put in something. And so the love of Jesus is constant. It doesn't change. It's not like, you know, picking the, the petals off a daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves, no, Jesus loves us. But our experience of the love of Jesus depends in part upon whether or not we abide in it, whether or not we remain in it, whether or not we stay put and experience that love. And so implicit in this command is that Jesus wants us to have a constant experience of his love. Do you live with that knowledge that Jesus wants you to have a constant experience of his love? And so we ask the question, so how do we do that? How do we abide in his love? Well, in one respect, we abide in Jesus' love when we abide in Christ and we let his words abide in, in uh, us. That's what he commanded in John 15.4, a few verses earlier, abide in me and let my words abide in you. And so as we remain in close relationship with Jesus, as we stay tight, and as we allow his words to occupy the deepest place in our hearts and to saturate our minds, then the love of Jesus, the love that Jesus has for us, it becomes clearer and more precious to us. And I would say this is reason number 57, why we should spend time in the Word. I mean, the, the, the reasons are endless. But this is one, of the, one, one aspect of the profitability of abiding in Jesus' words. God's Word explains and reminds us of the deep, deep love for Jesus. And if you think about it for two seconds, you'll, you'll agree with me that it's essential that we know day by day that we are loved perfectly by Jesus. I find myself uh, thinking these self-loathing, self-condemning thoughts, okay? 
And uh, I'll give you the sanitized version, but sometimes when I'm alone, I find myself saying to myself, you loser, you screw up. Uh, You're never going to amount to what you should be. You're never going to live up to the standard. You're never going to be the person God wants you to be. And when I'm preaching that to myself, I'm not feeling the love of Jesus. I'm I'm not experiencing his love. But when I come to the word, and I let the word occupy the deepest place in my heart. It's a whole different experience. It's, it's healing. It's nourishing. The love of Jesus is, is refining when it, when it comes to the word. One of my favorite passages in, in the Gospels, it's in Luke 22. Jesus is talking to Peter, and, and Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray him. Uh, Peter was full of confidence and bravado. But Jesus actually said this to Peter. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, that's his other name, Simon, Simon, Satan, and and hear Jesus saying this to you in some degree, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail, and when you turn, strengthen your brothers. What an amazing thing, and so Jesus said, Peter, I know You're going to sin, you're going to fail, you're going to betray me, but I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Yeah, you're you're going to fail in in a sense, but your faith is going to be strong, and when you return, you're going to be useful to me. Man, when I think about that, Jesus lives to intercede for us. He prays for us. He knows how we're going to fail and sin, but he's he's going to sustain us. We're going to persevere. When those words occupy my mind and my heart, I experience the love of Christ. And so that's one way that we experience, that we abide in Jesus' love. But another way, a very tangible way, is found in the very next verse in John 15, 10. And Jesus makes a statement here that can give us a new vision for obedience, a new grid for thinking about obedience. If you tend to think obedience means Uh, I've got to do all these things Jesus tells me to do. Look at what he says here. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so notice again that Jesus' experience of the Father's love is meant to be a paradigm of our experience of Jesus' love. And so Jesus abides in the Father's love by obeying the things that he's commanded. The Father shows him, he loves him, and shows him what he's doing. Jesus doesn't begrudgingly, he doesn't kind of grit his teeth and say, oh, I wish I didn't have to. No, he gladly enters in. What the Father does is always good. It's always an expression of his love, his holiness, and there's no division in his character. And so Jesus gladly obeys the Father whatever the cost. And when he does that, he expresses his love for the Father. I show people I love the Father by obeying him, and that, that, that loving unity is maintained. And if possible, even it swells and increases. And so that's the model. So if we want to abide in Jesus' love, we immerse ourselves in the words of Jesus in Scripture generally, And we find that his commands don't seem burdensome. They don't seem unreasonable. 
they don't actually seem undoable or, or impossible because of the Spirit who dwells within us. They're not a distraction from what we really want to do. We actually find ourselves increasingly wanting to be part of the family business. Increasingly, we want to know what is God doing in the world? What is God doing in my life? And I want to be a part of that. And as an expression of our love for Jesus, by his grace, by his power, we keep his commands. And in the process, we experience his love in fresher and deeper ways. And this is a little bit counterintuitive, but as I've thought about it this week, I brought to mind different people I know that love to be obedient. They don't ask the question, what's the minimum I got to do here to slide into heaven? They're like, no, how can I love God and do his will from the heart? Those are the people that, that from all appearances, they know that they are loved by Jesus. They abide in his love. They experience his love. That's what I want. That's what I want for all of us. I hope you're convinced that what we've been talking about today, abiding in Jesus' love, it's a make or break issue in the body of Christ. If we're actually going to be disciples of Jesus that love God, love one another, and love our neighbors as ourselves, we have to experience the deep, deep love of Jesus day in and day out. You know, one thing that helps us take the, the love of Jesus from our heads to our hearts is worship. And so I'd like the worship team to come on back up now. We're going to have a time of worship. And uh, we sing to God, but we also sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. We admonish one another this way. And so let's worship God through song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this, this uh, truth about your love that comes through Christ. We pray, God, that you would teach us to abide in Jesus' love. Teach us to rehearse it throughout the day in our minds and in our hearts. Teach us to love what you love. We pray that we would increasingly have the mind of Christ. We pray that our worship for you would swell and grow. Now receive our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.